Hello and welcome. You are listening to Peer to Peer, a segment from the In the Balance newsletter, where we talk each month to a journalist about how to better include women's perspective in the news. Our first guest is Francesca Donner, as director of the Gender Initiative at the New York Times from 2017 to 2021, she edited the In Her Words series trying to amplify the voices of women from all over the world, and not just the few renowned leaders that the public is used to hearing from. Prior to her time at the New York Times, she was a deputy editor at the Wall Street Journal. In this episode, Francesca Donner tells us about what made her feel the need to focus on gender in the first place and shares tips for any journalist out there who wants to start putting that gender lens on. You won't be that surprised. At the end of the day, it's all about asking the right questions. What was that spark that made you realize you had to focus on gender in your work? Well, I think, I mean, for me, probably this began many, many years ago, because I've been thinking about women for a very long time. Um, so back, probably back in, I don't know, even 2006 or seven or something, when I was at the Wall Street Journal, and one of my mentors said, we're going to do this thing. Her name is Carol Heimowitz. We're going to do this thing. We're going to really focus on women. And I kind of thought, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds nice. And then as I started thinking about it, why do we focus on women? What? what's what's the purpose of focusing on women you know aren't we already doing that and as you ask those questions and you start turning the pages of the wall street journal and you realize oh my goodness it's one story after another about about men which is not wrong but if we don't make a deliberate conscious effort to cover women women will not show up in those pages and you know, to some extent you can control it and to some extent you can't. Of course, if there's a, you know, male president or, or whatever, you write about a man, that's fine. But there are other things that you can do as a journalist to kind of reframe the story and make sure that those perspectives are heard. And I and I think about it a lot from a women perspective, but also, you know, are people of color represented in the story? Is LGBTQ represented in the story? And you can't do that for every single story. It's sort of, it's it would be a ridiculous ask, but we can do that for a lot of stories as we ask the questions and we think about the framing and we think about, you know, journalists have a, have a lot of choices. Should we tell this story or that story? Um, and as you, as you ask those questions, you can really look critically at what you're doing and say, whose stories, whose stories are we telling? Have we have we told a different perspective? Are we giving another perspective? Are we listening to that and looking out for that? And I think for me, it really it really showed up at the Wall Street Journal when I just started looking at the pages and thinking, oh my gosh, wow, now that I think about it. And it shows up the more the more you look for it, the more you realize that we don't do a very good job of getting a multiplicity of voices in the paper we tend to quote people who have already been quoted in other good sources we i know this for a fact because we did a lot of analysis on this in the new york times we tend to quote men about 75 percent of the time um male experts again i'm talking about moments where you have a choice about who you quote if you're if you're doing a story about the male ceo of xyz company of course you're going to quote a man but a lot of experts that you bring in, you have a choice. Should I bring in the head of this group? Should I bring in this 
expert on the economy? Should I, you know, bring in this professor or that professor? And I really, really feel that different people have different framings on the world. Of course they do. And it's there's nothing wrong with you if you don't see the world through someone else's eyes. All you have is your own vision and your own outlook. But I do think it's a problem if you don't ask the question about how other people might be seeing the world or including those viewpoints in your work, because then your work will be as narrow as your own vision. And even the most fantastically broad-minded reporter is going to have their vision. You have your vision. I have my vision. Um, but I, I don't know what it's like to be a 22-year-old uh, queer black woman living in uh, Alabama today. I don't. But I can ask and I can make sure that her voice is brought into my story if that's what I'm focusing on. So I think that's that's my point there. And for journalists who want to start doing that in their reporting, what are the things, the small steps they can take? I'm so happy to say that this is, there are small things you can do and there are ways that you can change it. So I think the first thing is looking critically at your own work and saying, have I done a good job or as good a job as I can possibly do on representing as many voices as I possibly can? Have I fallen into any traps that might be a little bit embarrassing? So here's an example. It was from the New York Times. Um, it was just a totally small piece. There was nothing major in it, but it was a piece about um, women's birth control. And I can't, I don't even remember what the news was, but three or four experts were quoted in the story and they were all men. Really? I'm sure they have great opinions on it and not that they shouldn't, but we really couldn't find a single woman to comment on this news or change or whatever it was with women's birth control. Seriously. So to me, look critically at your work because we don't really notice a lot of it until we ask the question. And then you say, gosh, I'm writing a story about women's birth control. Who have I quoted? And then you might ask, okay, well, great. I've quoted all these women, but are they all white women from elite academia? Is that representing the women, the woman who might not have access to birth control or can't afford it or um, has sort of double bias because she's a woman of color trying to seek it out and harder for her to get an appointment with a physician? You know, so you really have to think about if you can, like all of these layers that as you start sort of opening your mind, as you start opening your eyes to it, you start seeing all the ways that you might have kind of been blinkered. Does that make sense? So I will point you to a really wonderful article by a guy named Ed Yong. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist at um, The Atlantic. He's a science reporter. And he is also an absolutely lovely and wonderful person. And he's very big on, you know, elevating people. Um, but he took a look at his work and kind of thought, hmm, am I doing a good job actually sort of representing things the way they are? Or is it sort of getting skewed to kind of just looking at, you know, the males who happen to be at the top of the foundation or the or the company or whatever. And he and I think the um we can look at the article together, but I think what really kind of sparked him off was he'd he'd written a piece about a gene editing technique called CRISPR. Um 
okay, you, we don't need to know what that is. But the point <laughs> is, I wrote this piece about CRISPR, and I quoted a whole bunch of people in it. And if you read the article, you would be forgiven for thinking that CRISPR is a really male-dominated field. But in fact, it's a female-dominated field. And he said, I had just quoted all these guys, and I kind of realized it was sort of skewing the story in a way that he was really uncomfortable with. And so what he decided was really simple. Like, I'm going to start making sure that I quote women as much as I quote men, assuming, of course, that, you know, that, that everyone is, you know, of a fantastic level that we want to quote. We're not we're not going to quote people who aren't experts or whatever. And he said he estimated, I believe, that it added about 15 minutes of work to his week finding someone who wasn't the obvious guy to quote and I start with men and women but actually it's the same thing with people of color or you know whatever other thing you know um older people younger people ages is, is another form of discrimination so you know I think um able-bodied not able-bodied LGBTQ like what are, what are we sort of trying to represent here but I think you know you can start with gender it's just kind of a place to begin mm -hmm. And anyway, so he estimated he spent about 15 minutes a week total actually doing the work to possibly find an alternate source if there was one. He's a science reporter, so he might ring up the, I don't know, I don't know, the CDC or something, or or perhaps he he's like following up on a on a science paper or something, and the, and you know the guy who's the lead writer, and he said all I would do is I would go to the lead writer or I would go to the CEO or I would go to whoever and say, oh, thank you so much, but do you have someone else on your team is there a do you have a second in command do you have you know uh, the second writer or whomever or the deputy who perhaps is a woman or a person of color or whatever else he's looking for and usually they do there's usually someone in the background who then starts getting that visibility and then you sort of you stop a little bit that cycle of quoting the same people over and over again. And then, oh, they're quoted in the Atlantic. And so the, you know, a reporter at The Washington Post sees that and thinks, oh, that's probably a good guy to quote. So I'll quote him again. And then, you know, someone who's reporting for Slate sees that. And so then they quote that guy. And so you sort of stop that that cycle of kind of quoting the same voices over and again. And I think the most important thing is it makes your journalism better because, it's richer, it's broader, it's bringing in these other perspectives that you just might not have seen or thought about. So basically everybody wins with this change of way. I think everyone wins. I, I think the readers absolutely win because they're looking at a, at a more interesting story. They've got more viewpoints in it. Yeah. And then I, I do think as a journalist, you have to kind of think about how you frame the story you know, is the woman always presented as the victim? Do we do we do we interview women in conjunction with their husbands somehow? You know, we looked at some of our um, when we were at the Times, we looked at some of our um, kind of like our hurricane coverage. And we often kind of fell into the trap of saying, you know, we would have, you know, Mr. So-and-so says, you know, we need to, you know, our, our, our house has been lost and we need a better government oversight and and then they would interview mrs so-and-so and she would say yes we were so worried uh, we're really scared you know and so there's like this sort of gendered kind of discrepancy in how people were even responding to those kinds of questions or the types of questions that we ask right so were you saying to mr you know are you angry what do you think the government should do and are you saying to mrs um 
oh, how are you coping with uh, the children or something like that? You know, and again, we're so we're so deep in these kind of patterns that it's hard to see it unless you catch yourself. Thank you for listening and much thanks to Francesca Donner for her time and her tips. Peer to Peer is a segment from our monthly newsletter in the balance. To learn more, meet us at towards-equality.com.